Good morning. I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Happy Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yes, it is May, and that means we are celebrating the accomplishments, the histories, the contributions of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the U.S. This month was first observed as Asian Pacific American Heritage Week in 1979, and then fast forward to 1992, Congress passed a law which designated May the entire month as Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. This month was chosen to commemorate the immigration of the first Japanese to the United States on May 7, 1843, and to mark the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10, 1869, and the majority of the workers who laid those tracks were Chinese immigrants. Throughout the U.S., there are various celebrations of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander heritage and histories, with cities focusing a lot on their specific local Asian American ethnic communities and histories. So joining us this morning to talk more about what one city is doing to acknowledge its own Asian American and Pacific Islander histories in their city is Caitlin Jihae-Bill. Caitlin is a community builder, design researcher, and facilitator. Her upbringing as a transracial adoptee in Kentucky fostered a curiosity for people and the overlooked stories that disrupt mainstream narratives. Caitlin works to build community in Cincinnati, Ohio, where she currently calls home. She serves as an active board member for the Asian American Cultural Association of Cincinnati. She is also a consultant and facilitator at Design Impact, where she helps organizations help address inequity by working alongside the communities closest to the issues. Good morning, Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Sana. It is so, so good to be with you today. Yes, I am so excited that you said yes to having this conversation with me. So listeners, you should know, you know, how do we make friends in this time, social media. And I saw that Caitlin had posted about a few different things over the past couple years um, that we're going to talk about. So one, just to kind of highlight is a food festival that you all created and launched in Cincinnati. And then also most recently, um, a proclamation in Cincinnati about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I thought, you know, I need to have Caitlin on here because when I think about Cincinnati, I don't think Asian American. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. That's not my (laughs) kind of idea of Cincinnati. And so I was like, it's so cool that you all are doing so much to really focus on spotlight highlight right asian american um asian americans in your city so i was like let's chat because i feel like there are some similarities between cincinnati and memphis when we think about asian americans so thank you so much for being here yeah thank you thank you so much and i agree i i feel like i i don't know a ton about memphis but similarly i do not think about uh, a, 
a strong or very visible community of Asian American people in Memphis. So I'm just curious, what what does that community look like for you all? <laughs> like, what are the percent percentages? What are we talking about? Yes. When we talk about the numbers? Oh my goodness. So in Memphis currently, um, we are about two percent Asian American population, um, and two percent is like double what it was <laughs> when I was growing up here in Memphis. So, I mean, there is movement there, but Memphis has, you know, kind of always been very much a black white city, even though we do have a history of um, Chinese Americans here, but I would say a more hidden history just in the past couple of years. I feel like the Chinese American community here in Memphis has been able to really spotlight its own history, right? So we have some like commemorative markers um, in the downtown area kind of pointing to that history. Um, but for most people, we don't know, right? Because Memphis has a really uh, very publicized history about particularly um, African-American civil rights. I mean, thinking about MLK Jr., right? Thinking about stuff like that um, and for very good reason. Uh, but overall, like you said, not a, a strong Asian-American Memphis identity, even though we are a growing community and have, you know, histories here, but again, not really integrated into the overall kind of idea or public facing, right? What you think about as Memphis. You think Memphis and you think, you know, barbecue, you think Memphis in May, right? Also happening right now. Um, you think music um, and you think about that civil rights history, but you don't necessarily think, you know, Asian American history. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I, I feel like that is very, very similar to Cincinnati, very similar. Yeah. So I, I just want to, before we even jump into all the work that you've been a part of in Cincinnati, I think another way that our stories um, really intersect is, you know, you're, you growing up in Kentucky. So, you know, our Northern neighbor, <laughs> right. So very much still in, in that South um, feel. And then, you know, of course, moving to Cincinnati, but I'm thinking about for you, as for me, you know, both Korean adoptees, both both transracial adoptees, and I'm wondering in Kentucky, um, you know, what was that Asian American experience like in Kentucky when you were growing up? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I guess I'll start by saying, you know, the transracial Asian American experience, I assume, is different than being an Asian American person with Asian American parents. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, you know, my parents are white. My brother is Pacific Islander, but we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. So, you know, our exposure to Asian American culture probably looked different than if we had Asian American parents that were connected through whatever churches or different organizations. So the way that my parents were connected was, you know, through this adoptee network. Mm -hmm. So any Asian Americans that I really knew were other adoptees. And I think at, at the time, you know, in grade school or whatever, if there were any Asian Americans who had Asian American parents, I didn't necessarily feel like I related to them. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt probably disconnected from that. So uh, yeah, so I, for me, I feel like Asian American culture in Kentucky looked like hanging out with other adoptees at like the annual 
adoptee picnic mm-hmm. hayride or honestly like my my parents really did do their best but like I went to Chinese restaurants I grew up with a lot of Chinese culture because like I think at the time there was one single Korean restaurant in Covington which is like the closest big big neighborhood or big big city Mm -hmm. uh yeah so still to this day my um like comfort food is (laughs) Chinese food (laughs) so yeah if that tells you anything about what Asian American connection looks like for me growing up Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I mean, very similarly, you know, not much connection to other Asian Americans or Asian American community here for me growing up in Memphis. And like I said, even though, you know, a history of Asian, of Chinese Americans specifically, um, that wasn't my neighborhood experience, right? And when you're younger, it, it your experience is very much mediated kind of through your neighborhood, through the people you see when you go out your door, and of course, the people who you're at school with, right? Uh, and so I too did not really have that Asian American experience that maybe folks who were who grew up with Asian American parents and who may have been connected to some sort of community, even if it was a small community, uh, may have had. So I think also for me, you know, seeing how integrated and integral you are to the Asian American community in Cincinnati is also really exciting. Um, to think about how as Asian adoptees, we are very much a part of Asian American history and Asian American communities, even though our entryway might be different than some of our other Asian American peers. So thank you again for sharing that with me. Now let's get into some of the work that you are doing in Cincinnati. And first, um, you know, what brought you to Cincinnati in the first place? Yeah, I like I said, so I grew up just across the river in Northern Kentucky. So, you know, even though Kentucky is, well, actually debatable if Kentucky is considered the South, I'm in the (laughs) Northern, northernmost part of that Mm -hmm. Southern-ish state. But I I actually went to the University of Cincinnati. So I just went right across the river. Uh, I have been in Cincinnati probably since 2005. So Mm -hmm. yeah, not a sexy story of how I got here. College, pretty much. <laughs> I love that though. All right. So you're in Cincinnati. And um, well, I kind of said this in the intro as we first started talking. Um, I, I saw most recently that you helped ha- get the city of Cincinnati to issue a proclamation in honor of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I was like, that is so cool. Because first of all, I'm like, what does that even mean to have a proclamation? Like, what does that do, you know, symbolically or even practically, you know, to have a proclamation by the city? Yeah, I I really struggle with this, to be honest, because I don't want to say that it gives us legitimacy or validity because mm-hmm. our own existence validates us and makes us legitimate. We don't have to have an official body Mm -hmm. uh, issue some kind of proclamation or build a structure to make us legitimate. We just exist and that Mm -hmm. alone makes us legitimate. On the other hand, we do recognize that to have an official government body create a proclamation that says 
May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, it creates a visibility that is much more mainstream and much more public and much more widespread that we alone could not necessarily do. So I think it's really powerful that our first Asian American mayor is, is doing this proclamation. It, it's powerful. I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's not, it doesn't necessarily give us legitimacy, but it gives us power and it gives us visibility. That is incredibly moving uh, and very emotional for me. Uh, I helped write the proclamation and I was literally crying as I was writing it because I do think about, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about what it means to grow up where you felt like uh, your community as an Asian American was not concentrated or widespread or particularly visible it just appeared in these little pockets mm -hmm. um to have the mayor say this month matters you matter you belong here your history and your contributions matter is just an incredible experience and i especially as an adoptee as a transracial adoptee i never thought that i would be able to be part of this movement. Uh, I, it's a real honor. I'm really excited about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, you know, what you said about that sense of belonging, right? And I think that's so crucial for everyone. First, as just human beings, we, we do crave a sense of belonging. Um, and so that is very, you know, just universal feeling, but also when you're thinking about, you know, growing up in a city or, or, or living in a city where you, you're, you don't feel that you quite belong, right? Because there aren't these kind of markers that are really signifying that you do belong. And so I think this proclamation, as you were saying, is just one of those signifiers, right? That really establishes like, yes, I do belong. And even though maybe it's not a, a daily experience where I'm seeing kind of the this visibility, I have something that really proclaims not just to me, but to others as well, that Asian Americans are a part of this a part of this community um, that and are valued. And so I, I mean, even just speaking to your point of how you were saying, you know, you, it was very emotional for you to even kind of write this proclamation and be a part of that process. I think the fact that it resonated so much with me too, I, I mean, speaks to your point, right? Because I saw that and I was like, wow, that's so cool that your city with also a very small Asian American population um, would take the time to issue a proclamation, which I know it is, it's somewhat simple, right, to get that started, but there's still something to be said for these acknowledgements. Yeah, agreed. And I think even the process of writing it, you know, I think about who helped write this proclamation. So certainly I was the one that got the ball rolling, but mm -hmm. there was a team of people that helped write this proclamation. Um, you know, we had a person who, we had a different, several different people that were part of it. And, you know, they were all different ethnicities and different generations. Um, not everybody was from Cincinnati who helped write the proclamation. Uh, you've got me as a transracial adoptee. And I think that even that to me speaks so much to the sense of belonging and what it means to even be Asian American, that, mm -hmm. that Asian Americans, are not 
this monolith. I know we hear that a lot, but we're not a monolith that, you know, we've got a South Asian mayor, mm-hmm. uh, f- not from Cincinnati, who is reading this proclamation and it was written by all of these different types of people. To me, that is the power of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month is that there are so many things about our experiences that are so different and we're coming from all over. We have different religions, different languages, different backgrounds, and so much about that can make us feel isolated. And yet we also have this very common we have many common experiences as Asian Americans. And that's actually the power in standing behind this term. It gives us a sense of solidarity uh, and gives us a sense of belonging as as an entire community. So it's really powerful. I, I feel, like I said, I feel like being able to write this, I hope, especially to other transracial adoptees who, I don't know if you ever felt this way, Sana, but like, I felt for such a long time that I couldn't even claim being Asian American because Mm -hmm. I look Asian. I obviously am Asian. I was born in Korea, but I didn't have a language or a culture that I thought bound me together with other Asian Americans. And I felt for such a long time, I had this imposter syndrome that I could, Mm -hmm. I couldn't say that I was Asian American. And I hope you know, now that I've met other Asian Americans who, regardless of where they grew up or how they grew up, they also feel this sense of being split between multiple worlds. And that I think is actually part of being Asian American. And I think once I understood that, I, I realized that that is part of our strength is that we, we're not, we're not separated. We're not pulled apart into these different worlds. We actually are sitting in many worlds. That's part of our power. And Yeah, I I hope that being a transracial adoptee, being able to do some of these things helps other transracial adoptees uh, know that that is actually part of our superpower and that we are just as Asian American as anybody else. Mm -hmm. I think that is so important what you just said, because definitely I felt that way for a very long time um, where you know, I know that I'm Asian, I know that I'm Asian American, right, as kind of categories, right, that are applied to me or that I inhabit. But what does that mean, right? What does that, what is the substance of that? What does that feel like? Um, And it's very difficult to create some sort of feeling around an identity when you are kind of the only one, or that has been the majority of your experience anyway, where you are very different than or the only one. And so as you were talking about how actually it is very common for Asian Americans who are raised in Asian American families to also feel very similarly like, okay, where do I really fit to feel in between cultures or generations or expectations of who they should be? And you're right, that is something that does unify us as Asian Americans. I remember being at a Korean American conference and all of these Korean Americans um, talking in very similar ways that I hear transracial adoptees or Korean adoptees talk as well. And it's like, wow, our experiences, the way we talk about them are almost exactly the same of feeling caught between these different worlds or different cultures. Um, But 
we also feel like it's unique, right, to our experience as adoptees, which definitely there are things that are, in fact, very unique. But some of these feelings are similar across, you know, Asian Americans. So thank you so much um, for sharing that. Um, because I think for adoptees in particular, we do struggle a lot with feeling like, where do we belong? And sometimes it is the understanding that we do belong in all of these different spaces. Absolutely. I definitely think, you know, we started this, I guess you'd call it an initiative, an initiative to make Cincinnati uh, a place in which Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month is a thing. Yes. <laughs> so we started that last year. And I think that as we've been doing this, it's been a healing process for me. You know, it's been very healing to be able to meet other Asian Americans that are doing this kind of community building work and to see these different types of people with these different experiences. And it continues to validate, you know, that I am Asian American. So yeah, it's it's been a really powerful process for me. Uh, I love that. Well, we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Caitlin Beal. We've been talking about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month and particularly what she and other Asian Americans in Cincinnati have been doing to really claim space and say, we are here, we are part of this city and, you know, this is what we're going to do to really acknowledge this month. And now before the break, you talked about how um, you all have been very intentional about creating a space to acknowledge Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how kind of this network came about, how this initiative came about, and then some of the things that you all have been able to do so far. Absolutely. So I am a board member for the Asian American Cultural Association of Cincinnati. So uh, we are a volunteer run Asian led pan Asian organization, meaning uh, we are not necessarily concentrated on any particular ethnicity like the like a Filipino uh, social group or uh, a Chinese social group. So we are basically just celebrating the Asian American experience. Mm -hmm. So Prior to COVID, uh, we were really concentrated on events. So we had been working on Asian Food Fest and uh, we also had a huge Lunar New Year party. So that was our thing. We were, we were definitely the fun <laughs> organization. <laughs> yes. uh, and again, like that was also, you know, even though it was fun, I, I saw that also as political in some ways because, you know, we weren't a professional group. You know, we weren't necessarily celebrating uh, being in a particular field or sector, and we weren't necessarily, uh, you know, again, promoting a particular ethnic group. It was just about being Asian American, having a great time, and just by being visible and being able to have these casual spaces, mm -hmm. you know, that, that in itself was, that was a powerful thing. Okay, anyway, so flash forward to COVID, obviously pulled the plug on pretty much any in-person event. So that's when we actually started uh, Asianati. Asianati is a website and social media 
presence that we have that was really focused on celebrating Asian food culture. So being able to celebrate different Asian restaurants and food um, as a way to educate and celebrate the, the vast array of Asian food that we have in Cincinnati. So that was sort of our step into uh, initiatives outside of events, which I was co-editor with Asian Addy for uh, about a year and a half. Okay, so then we get to uh, leading up to uh, March, the shooting in Atlanta, mm -hmm. even being part of Asian Addy, we are starting to see a rise in hate crimes and violence against Asian Americans. So through Asian Addy, we are starting to get, you know, as a very visible, very social media forward kind of group, mm -hmm. a lot of Asian Americans, I think, didn't know where to go. And so if something happened to them, they were actually messaging Asian Addy. So we're mm -hmm. out here, you know, talking about the best place to get Dan Dan noodles. <laughs> and, you know, we're getting DMs saying like, something just happened to me. Where do I go? What do I do? Ooh, I'm like getting emotional just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So already as a, as a co-editor, I'm like, what is happening? This thing that we are seeing in the coast is, is, is here. It's here yeah. in Cincinnati. Um, and I'm sure it had been happening before. So the fact that by the time it gets to our DMs, we know that it probably was already happening low key. And it's right. just now people are getting some courage. So we're already starting to think about, hey, what is the next thing? What is the thing that's outside of food culture that we can start to do to create a sense of belonging, some safe spaces. Um, and, and, you know, I think May was an obvious choice. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, that's a thing where that's the whole point is to be proud, be loud, um, be excited about your heritage uh, beyond food. Mm -hmm. And then the shooting in Atlanta happens. And I think, uh, unfortunately, we know that tragedy is a mobilizer. Um, we know that we've seen that with, you know, the murder of Vincent Chen, Vincent Chen, excuse me. Um, and yeah, I think that was very much true of these hate, this rising hate crimes really culminating at that time with the shooting in Atlanta. And I remember just literally laying on the floor on the phone with my two co-editors, Nikki and JP, and just crying and saying like, what are we gonna do? We have to do something. Uh, and I think what was a, um, not necessarily casual, but like it was a, okay, let's like try to be strategic. Let's try to think of some ways that we can celebrate this month turned into a full train of like anything. Let's do anything to create these very visible spaces and places where we can feel safe and where we can belong. So, so that was in 2021, March of 2021. Uh, we, <laughs> let's see, okay, so that would have been the end of March of 2021. So between the end of March of 2021 and May, we basically did some Google searching. I personally could not find any particular community-wide listing or calendar of things happening specifically around Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. As a quick aside about Cincinnati, we're home to some really big headquarters uh, of, these, of these bigger corporations, these Fortune 500 corporations. So mm -hmm. Kroger is headquartered here in Cincinnati. P&G is headquartered in Cincinnati. You know, we've got major um, 
offices for GE, uh, Cincinnati Bell. So these really big Cincinnati Children's Hospital. So we've got these really big corporations. And I think that they internally were doing stuff for Heritage Month. But mm-hmm. in terms of what was, you know, for just a, a normal everyday person like myself, who's I'm in the nonprofit space, I'm not tied to a corporation. I didn't see anything where I could just go and do right. stuff for Heritage Month. So after doing that search, it was like, okay, let's get organized. Let's try mm-hmm. to get some of these events together and either build them ourselves or at least just get them into one spot. So yeah, so that's basically what our initiative was, was uh, not necessarily trying to create something new, but at least try to create a structure where organizations who are already doing this work could have a place and also create an infrastructure. So if you wanted to do something for the first time, you also had some resources and support. So last year, for instance, we were able to get the Cincinnati Museum Center and the Cincinnati Public Library, which is one of the largest public library systems in the country, to do some initiatives for Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month that they had never done before. So yeah, so that's where we're at this year. We're looking at, last I checked, 26 events in in the greater Cincinnati area, uh, which is uh, an immense growth from even last year where we did 17 events and mm-hmm. nine of those were actually produced just by our organization, ACAC. <laughs> so yeah, so it is like definitely much more widespread. You know, now we've got hotels, the ACLU of Ohio, um, you know, the museum again, you know, we've got major institutions and small organizations and restaurants starting to also join in the celebration. So it's really exciting. That is so exciting. And, you know, as you were talking, it made me think, you know, like you said, sure, some of these bigger corporations may have been doing things internally and probably even for different specific um, ethnic interest groups that you have in the city. We're probably having some things kind of internal to their own communities. But there is something to be said for that visibility for the kind of average everyday person who's not already involved in some of these niche groups to be able to say, oh, hey, you know, this event is going on, even if it is just something for fun, right? It doesn't always have to be something that is directly political or or directly learning about, you know, whatever. It can just be a social event. And there is something about that visibility that, again, contributes to just a general sense of belonging, a general sense that even this city offers some sort of space for me to kind of be my full self and also safe spaces for when something happens or when you're feeling, you know, a certain vulnerability for where you can go. And I think that's so important because even here, I'm thinking about in Memphis, you know, we have various ethnic um, organizations. So thinking about like Korean business organization or even, you know, Indian American or Chinese American um, organizations here, but those are very kind of insular, right? You're either part of that community or you're not. And if you're not, you don't really know maybe what's going on, right? And so even for me, as I was doing like quick Google search for, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month in Memphis, nothing came up, like nothing, (laughs) like not a thing. Um, You know, some events from like last year that our, you know, main library had put on. But other than that, nothing, you know, and so for you all to really be intentional about we want to create something 
for ourselves, but also for the city as well, I think is so key because otherwise people do end up feeling invisible. They feel that they don't belong. And then when things happen like a March, you know, 2021 shooting in Atlanta where Asian Americans you know, across the U.S. felt extremely vulnerable wherever they were. It makes it more difficult. Of course, we had, you know, some different vigils and things like that, but the everydayness is what creates belonging. And so without that, people can feel kind of lost in the shuffle. So I love all of the work um, that you all have been doing. And I just think it's so important. Thank you. And I will say too, I think one of the biggest strengths that we have is that we are Asian led and these initiatives are primarily driven by other Asian Americans. Because I will say that what I have found in, you know, again, just what I've been hearing from what kinds of internal initiatives were happening is again, it was often, even though it was led by Asian Americans, oftentimes the, the angle and the motivation was very different. A lot of times it was trying to educate non-Asian people just about our daily experiences. And that is uh, a very different vibe <laughs> when you are just trying to educate people like, hello, please don't mess up my name. Hello, this is a country in Asia and this is the kinds of food we eat. You know, it can in some ways feel a little bit like elementary school, trifold, mm -hmm. you know, we like to eat X. Would you like to try that? Right. And I still think that education can be important and a lot of bridges can be built from that. So, you know, you, we all have to have a foundational knowledge of the basics, but I think that when it is Asian led and it's actually for other Asians, mm -hmm. I think that also creates, creates a sense of power and belonging to say like, we don't have to talk in asterisks and italics uh, to explain things like we can just focus on being ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that's not necessarily the case with the whole calendar, you know, as an organizing group that's just trying to coordinate, get all these things into one spot. You know, we didn't necessarily dictate this is the kind of event you have to have. But mm -hmm. there were Asian American organizations that were saying, we want to get involved. We've actually never done anything for Heritage Month. What can or what should we do? At that point, our group did actually try to encourage them to say, hey, just to let you know, though, as you are thinking about putting together this event, you know, again, it can be for you. It can be mm -hmm. for your community. And at that point you are, you are opening up an invitation for other people to join, but you don't have to feel like you have to um, say everything you need to say, like this is gonna be your one platform, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there is a lot of, I think that there is a, a lot to be said for that. Mm -hmm. It goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, this is not trying to establish legitimacy because we are already legitimate just by fact of existing, right? And it is very different when you're trying to convince someone of your value, of your worth, of your right to be here versus getting amongst some peers and celebrating <laughs> the fact that we are here, right? And so absolutely, it is, it is a difference for sure. And, you know, I'm wondering too, you know, with, I'm thinking about 
you know, the proclamation that your mayor gave and also the, this, you know, great calendar of events that you all are able to publicize. I'm wondering in the context of, you know, these past couple years, thinking about the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, you know, what does this moment and, you know, all of your organizing thus far, you know, how does that feel in this, in this, in this time? Ooh, how does it feel? I will say that it feels, if I'm being totally honest, I think it is a very solid mix of joy mm -hmm. and exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm pretty tired. <laughs> um, because yeah, organizing just takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of um, hard work to coordinate. It, it takes a lot of work to you know, by putting yourself out there, it means that folks are coming to you to have, they need some space to be able to process all the things where they haven't been able to process it before. But I feel like there is something, again, it, there's something very healing about being able to be in those kinds of spaces where people feel like they can belong. And it's, it's a lot of joy. I mean, there is so much joy in being able to be in these spaces and to be able to see other Asian Americans uh, in in a way that uh, I had not really experienced much of. You know, I think mm -hmm. Asian Food Fest uh, was kind of my one instance where I felt like I could look around and, and feel like I was not the only Asian person in the room. Yeah. Um, I wasn't weird. I, I wasn't the person that people had to look to, to educate or or speak for anybody. And uh, yeah, I think that it's just very joyful. It's very joyful. And I, I really want that, that joy to be able to resonate beyond May. But I think, again, there is a lot of power in having this concentration of different events. And so mm -hmm. I think, sorry, I keep using the term powerful, but like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like building power. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm just really excited and curious to see what this will even look like in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Uh, not just Heritage Month, but even like what our community will look like in the next five to 10 years. So mm -hmm. yeah, just a mix of joy and a little bit of exhaustion and <laughs> curiosity. <laughs> yes, I mean, I completely understand, you know, those moments where you don't have to be the only one where you can just be, I think are very special moments, especially for, you know, in this case, Asian Americans who didn't grow up on the coast, right? Who didn't grow up in areas where there are, you know, a lot of different Asian American groups where it is kind of normal to have Asian Americans wherever you are. I mean, for me being in Memphis, you know, I get excited when I'm at my favorite coffee shop and I see a couple other Asian Americans right in there doing work or grabbing coffee or even you know as baristas like I get super excited because I can think about times in my childhood growing up here where I never saw another Asian American unless we were going to you know the Chinese restaurant or somewhere specific like that but just in everyday life no that was not an occurrence so I completely understand how having 
something like an Asian food fest or the other events, right, that you all have this month can be very healing and also very powerful. As you said, I think powerful is, is the word because Heritage Month is a time of really understanding, accepting, and building upon our community power. So I love that. I want to go back to something you said just now, though, about the everyday experiences. And that to me is also so important when we talk about AAPI Heritage Month, because I think that, you know, we're in a a difficult position because we're also fighting against the model minority myth, right? Mm -hmm. That like, that we are exceptional because we are doctors and lawyers, uh, or we're in these corporations as engineers or whatever. And I do think that that is important. Don't get me wrong to be able to say that, you know, we are intelligent, we contribute to this society, but also that very much can get into these like weird capitalist vibes where our worth is also determined by how much money we can make or how Mm -hmm. educated we are and all of that stuff. And I think that what I find really exciting about AAPI Heritage Month is that we can also use this opportunity to try to showcase a lot of different experiences so that, you know, I I want other Asian Americans to also know that like, you don't have to be exceptional that, you know, just being your normal self, you know, a sloppy person, or a person that sleeps in or a person that, you know, works like seven or eight different hustles, all of those things are also part of the Asian American experience. So While I do want to make sure that we're honoring our history and celebrating people that, to your point earlier, have not had the spotlight before, like I also hope that AAPI Heritage Month in the future and even now can also just celebrate just the diversity of experiences and that you can just be, you can just be, and you don't have to be an amazing historical leader in order to have any kind of value here. Right. Thank you so much for saying that because, you know, with, with the variety of different heritage months, it can get very much like, look at us, look at the best of us. You know, this is what defines us when in fact it is whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing or not doing is part of who we are. And as you mentioned, it can get, it becomes a slippery slope, especially for Asian Americans who have been characterized under this model minority myth that we are extraordinary, that we are, you know, this exemplar of educational success and socioeconomic success, then the many histories and realities within our community do get hidden. Um, Asian Americans have have the largest wealth gap within um, racial group within a racial group because of this vast difference in immigration histories because of this vast difference in how Asian Americans are kind of slotted to different types of careers and occupations and so a lot of that um, gets hidden because then we would have to talk about the realities of capitalism of you know of oppression then we would have to talk about how we treat various ethnic groups and immigrant groups in the U.S. And of course, we can't do that. So (laughs) thank you so much for bringing that up because we are an extremely varied and diverse group of folks who, as you mentioned before, have not always felt that we were unified in some way. 
right? Have very much felt, you know, separate experiences. And so I think there's a real opportunity within Heritage Month to spotlight the, the diversity within, you know, who is considered Asian American. Um, so thank you so much for that. Well, let's take another short break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Thanks for tuning in. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Caitlin Beal. And we've been talking a lot about Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month and particularly a lot of the organizing that's being done in Cincinnati, another city with a very small numerical group of Asian Americans. But I think a city that, you know, as you mentioned, in the next five, 10 years will really be looking at like, wow, they have really embraced their Asian American community um, and done so in a way that is not symbolic, right? And is not tokenizing, but that really focuses on the inclusion um, within their city. And so thank you so much again for joining us this morning. Um, we talked a little bit before the break about how AAPI Heritage Month has been feeling for you. And I know you said, you know, there is joy. There's also that kind of tiredness, right, of organizing and also thinking about the, the continued anti-Asian hate um, that's happening in the U.S. as around the world as well. Um, and I'm wondering for you, because of the work that you've done in helping organize, um, thinking about like Asian food Fest or Asian Nadi as a, a, a online resource and even kind of this calendar event, calendar of events for API Heritage Month in Cincinnati. I'm wondering, you know, how does this feel or what is this like for you thinking about um, your experiences growing up, right? Which I'm certain was very different type of celebration or not celebration of API Heritage Month. And so just kind of like reflecting on that journey for you, what is that like? Dang, Sanaa, what are you doing, man? <laughs> uh, gosh, I mean, I'm not even sure where to start. I mean, I would say that it's it's interesting. I, I kind of look around and I feel like I have to take a step outside of myself for a second to say like, wow, how did I get here? Because I think even... I don't know, I would say safely like five, six years ago, I felt like I really didn't, I didn't feel part of the Asian American community. I didn't feel like I had my own community. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, whatever, you can definitely say that's also by design that, you know, we have in general, very segregated communities here in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. It's also just a lot of my own upbringing of feeling like I was disconnected from that sort of experience, but, I don't know. I think that there's just something really humbling about where I'm at right now, where I, I certainly, I don't know, I don't want to claim that I'm necessarily an organizer because I think that takes away from the people who are doing a lot of on the ground political organizing. Mm -hmm. And I also shy away from calling myself a leader just because I think I still have some stale ideas about what it means to be a leader. I, I don't know. I just feel shy about that. But mm -hmm. I think being in a place where I would say that I have the microphone, that people are listening to me, uh, is just a very surreal experience, you know, when I think about again what what my experience was like growing up. Um, and I also just recognize there's a lot of privilege in that because I do think I have uh 
I have the privilege of English being my first language. And let's be honest, pretty much my only language. But I think being an English speaker without an accent, um, having a white upbringing and having a white partner, I do recognize that, you know, that's probably part of why I have the microphone in the first place. Mm -hmm. But so I also feel like uh, I feel an enormous sense of responsibility to make sure that as I am um, able to advocate for the community that I, as much as I can, can also uh, hand the microphone to other people who may not have always been able to, uh, that people were not listening to before. So I definitely still have a long way to go. I think that as we're doing work with AAPI Heritage Month, we, we do need to do better about representing, for instance, Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. We have to do better about uh, South Asian voices because uh, personally, like I think our group is not as well connected to that group because so many of us are East and Southeast Asian. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I don't even know if I'm like answering <laughs> your question anymore, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very surreal experience basically. And I, I, I just recognize that this opportunity doesn't come along very often. So I'm just trying to be as best of a steward as I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it was not a surprise to me to learn how much you've been involved in, you know, in helping organize some of these different events, focusing here, of course, on Asian Americans because of the work that you do um, with Design Impact. And I just thought it was so cool in thinking about how that organization, the approach to community building, and really thinking about how can we tackle different issues of inequality, right? And do so in a way that's responsive to the communities that are being most effect affected, right? And so, it, like I said, it wasn't a surprise to me um, to, to see the ways that you are, you know, amplifying voices, passing the mic, and also making space for other people to kind of do what they want with. Right. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your work with thinking about facilitation and um, design impact in particular, um, as well, and thinking about how that approach really leads to building community and building connection. And then, of course, affecting change. Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, so, OK, just a little bit about design impact. We are a nonprofit social innovation firm based in Cincinnati, but we work all over the country. And uh, I know so social innovation also sounds kind of jargony, but really what that means is we're just helping to solve tricky, sticky issues in different ways. Um, oftentimes the organizations and nonprofits that we're working with, uh, you know, have been struggling with an issue and have been addressing it uh, in similar ways and just need a different perspective. Um, our organization, um, the way that we are approaching it is we help, we help them think about it differently by inviting community in to be part of that work. So oftentimes organizations, you know, they're, if they do community engagement, it might just be send out a survey, get the same kinds of results, uh, and they're like, I don't know, we still don't exactly know why we're not making traction on this particular issue. So we are also trying to help those organizations just work differently in general by saying like, how can we, how can we share power differently? How can we not only 
get feedback, but also make sure that people are part of the process in more holistic and comprehensive ways. So uh, we are doing research with them. We are also um, generating, we're generating ideas with them. We're generating these different solutions and also, you know, inviting community to help execute those as well. So I think for me uh, as a person that is like a lifelong nonprofit person, you know, I've been working in nonprofits for a long time. I had not seen that kind of engagement or that kind of, yeah, approach to solving problems. Because like, let's be honest, it takes a lot of time. And it often means that you are communicating differently than maybe, you know, how you talk in these nonprofit or academic kinds of spaces. Uh, and not to mention, there's usually a disparity where, you know, the communities that we're often serving are communities of color and the nonprofit space is pretty white. So, <laughs> so there's just a lot of discomfort with being able to share that kind of power, but um, very much, I think it, it reinforces this knowledge that we already have as uh, women of color ourselves that we already know the answers. You know, we know yeah. the problems intimately, we know the problems, we know the answers. And really, if someone would just give us the chance to just share our experiences and our expertise, mm -hmm. you know, we can we can help you get there. So um, I think that have very much has shaped how I feel about the work that I'm doing in the Asian American community because I'm very careful even in talking about what we're doing with AAPI Heritage Month to not say like, we're the first, we're the first. Because the truth is, is Asian American organizations here in Cincinnati, you know, while we are a small but mighty group, you know, they have been doing work uh, and addressing these issues in the community long before they were made visible by all the momentum happening from the last couple of years. And so, yeah, I mean, I think like I am, it's, it's humbling. It's definitely humbling, but it's also just, uh, it motivates me to make sure that we are working directly with those organizations that already know the community. Um, and again, it's just about, you know, with the work that uh, Asian American Cultural Association of Cincinnati has done, like we recognize because of our work at Asian Food Fest, again, we've got the mic, we've got the platform, you know, we have connections to corporate dollars, for instance. Um, and, you know, I think for us, it's, it's making sure that while we're working with like some of these other grassroots organizations that we can also help, again, make sure we can share those resources because again, they already know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because I think even just kind of in what you were saying, it's so instructive for people who maybe are doing community work, um, or people who are thinking about how can they get involved in in the community or tackling certain community issues, right? A lot of this work has been ongoing. It is a matter of getting connected to the people who are on the ground, who have been doing the organizing, who have been, you know, in their own communities advocating for themselves, but who often are overlooked um, because of other groups that maybe have, you know, financial backing or, or, you know, what have you. So I think even just you sharing that is very instructive and in thinking about how we, how we make meaningful connections and how we get to meaningful change that really centers the people, right, that we are saying we want to be in support of or that we are saying we want to 
come alongside and work with. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I know we're getting close to the end of our time this morning. So I just wanted to ask you one last question, which is what are you looking forward to the most this Heritage Month? I definitely do not want to shout out any particular event because <laughs> that'll get me in trouble. But also, I mean, there is such a variety of events that it's hard to say. Also, you know, your audience is in Memphis, so probably not that helpful anyway. But I would just say like, for me, it is about seeing Asian joy, Asian American and Pacific Islander joy. And I think just being able to just celebrate and be joyful and leave behind, you know, some of these conversations right now about our pain and our trauma. And just this month, just get to celebrate and honor and remember that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm excited to just have a beer with <laughs> other Asian American people, get to know uh, some new people. I don't know. It's, there's something about being able to be in a room or a space and just look around and see other people that look like you and that have yeah. similar experiences. It just makes me super happy. So yeah, I'm just excited to just hang. <laughs> I feel that so much because, you know, this month kind of creeps up on me, um, you know, like what is time? What is time? And so I was like, oh my goodness, you know, like scrambling around trying to see like what's going on, you know, what I can go to, or even thinking about like, is there something I want to do? And I was like, you know what? No, like, no, this month is a month of rest. Like, I don't have to be on, you know, some educational tour because I did think about it, like doing like a lunch and learn about Asian American history, because I know people don't know a lot about Asian American history, particularly moments of activism, um, which is what I was thinking about. And I was like, you know, Asana, no. No, you do not need to put one more thing on your calendar that you have to be in charge of, that you have to organize. Um, yes, this is important, but it doesn't have to be this month. So I'm looking forward to just, you know, just relaxing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And also, you know, well, first of all, there's always next year, but I think that, I think that there's also something to be said for doing these things outside of the month because i think even for us we're in a tricky spot where if we put all of our eggs into the you know heroes and holidays basket mm -hmm. we end up running the risk of tokenizing ourselves that you yeah. know our experiences are only valid in may and then we cannot talk about ourselves again until the next month right. or until the next year and you know I think that we can, we run the risk of also contributing to this scarcity mindset too, of we only get the mic once a year. So like, don't yeah. blow it. And <laughs> I, I think that there is something to be said for doing that activism and education that you talked about outside of May, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that like we deserve more than one month. So yeah, uh, yeah. I would say, again, I, I agree with you. You should relax have your blob time, yes. you know, uh, you know, do whatever you got to do. And without the, the gaze of anyone else. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you think that that is a space and a gap uh, that you need to fill, doesn't have to be this month. 
Yes. Thank you so much for that. I received that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here with us this morning and, and sharing so much of what's happening in Cincinnati. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Caitlin Beal for joining us this morning. I found what she said about visibility and belonging, you know, so important. And, you know, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month is about celebrating kind of the histories and the contributions of Asians in America, but it's also about within the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, just understanding our own commonalities and what makes us connected. Again, we are a very diverse group of ethnic groups. And so it can often seem like, you know, we're kind of each doing our own thing and, and where are the similarities or where are the commonalities. And I think this month is a time for us to really celebrate our experiences as Asians in America. So again, thank you so much for Caitlin for just sharing with us some of the things that um, she and others are doing in Cincinnati. For today's positive note, I wanted to share something that Caitlin said, which was, be proud, be loud, be excited about your heritage. And what a great month to get excited and to be excited about your heritage, particularly for Asian Americans. But I think this message is applicable to everyone about the importance of being excited about your heritage. And even if you don't know much about what that means, this is a perfect time to learn more and also to just enjoy existing, being here and knowing that you don't need anyone else to say that you are legitimate, right? Just by existing, as Caitlin said, that alone makes us legitimate. Well, this has been Let's Grab Coffee. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. I hope you got your cup of coffee. I know I had a couple. Um, Come back next Monday. I will be here and I can't wait for you to join me. Make sure that you subscribe to Let's Grab Coffee in podcast format on any platform, any streaming platform. That way you can listen again to episodes, go back in the archives, listen to some other conversations I've had. You'll definitely learn a lot about the world around us. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM.